Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with Manny Hill. Just moments after Alabama failed to tie in overtime against Michigan. So Michigan moves on to the championship. And oh, look, their quarterback is in a bunch of mock drafts connected to the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, Manny, why don't we start by talking about that game and your impressions of JJ McCarthy after watching him overcome the Michigan special teams in order to win that football game and, and go to the college national championship. Yeah, it was a, it was a hell of a game. Uh, another classic Rose bowl and a great finish. Uh, you know, I, I was mildly impressed with JJ McCarthy tonight. Um, I, I've been a little down on him, not, not because I didn't think he was good. I just wasn't really sure how good he was because that team is, there's just so much talent on that team. There's going to be double digit guys that are going to get drafted um, next spring off of that team, including JJ McCarthy. Um, And they spent so much of the season, just dominating everybody, just blowing everybody out. Then they finally played a close game against Ohio state the last, uh, last week of the season Um, so it was hard to really kind of get a read on like how good JJ McCarthy actually is because they weren't, they didn't really ask him to do a lot because they were in control of so many of the games this year. Um, but I, I was mildly impressed with them. I still have some, some questions about like, you know, how good his arm actually is. Like, can he really make all the throws, you know, speaking from a Vikings perspective, can he make all the throws that Kevin O'Connell will want him to make? Um, I know there's been, you know, it it seems like he's a really mobile guy that can get out and run, but I'm not sure like how much of that is going to actually translate to the NFL. Um, but you know, he he played well tonight. He the he did uh, he did get away with a, a a pretty bad mistake the first play from scrimmage in this game where he rolled out and looked like he was trying to throw the ball away and he threw it into the hands of an Alabama defender. The only reason why he got away with it because the Alabama defender was out of bounds. So, you know, I guess you, you take that for what it is, but um, my, my main question about him was going to be like, all right, when 
when the lights are big, when there's a high pressure situation, how, you know, how is he going to handle that? He didn't handle it very well last year against TCU in the college football playoff, made some mistakes in that game. Um, Tonight, I thought he did a, a, a better job of that, of just kind of keeping, keeping his team together, going down on that long drive to, to tie the game. And then, I don't know how much credit you want to give him for overtime. I mean, overtime was all Blake Corum pretty much uh, with those two runs. But yeah, I, I thought he was solid. I don't know if it changes my thoughts on whether or not he'd be a fit for the Vikings at all. I mean, I think that's still kind of up in the air to to kind of figure out. But, you know, I thought he was solid tonight and it was a, it was a hell of a game. And the other thing is, too, the this other biggest pass of the game on fourth and two was also a swing pass to Blake Corum, where, who was wide yeah. open and took it you know, 35 yards from there. And their receiver did forget you can't push someone directly in the back, which is a rule that you learn when you're six. But uh, they made up for it. Uh, Roman Wilson, I think, is the guy's the receiver's name, who made an unbelievable catch on a tipped ball after that to help Michigan win the game. I mean. My observation on J.J. McCarthy is, I think, from a leadership and operational perspective, uh, leading their offense, his confidence in their offense, they have a lot of motions, they have a lot of changes that, that are going on at the line of scrimmage that really make that offense tick, and you have to give credit to Harbaugh and his staff for Alabama's head was spinning in a lot of the those moments where they're moving guys around, even on that play on fourth down where Corum starts on the left of the quarterback, they motion him to the right they don't make the right check on defense he's wide open and running and that's all of that has to do with McCarthy at the line of scrimmage I I think they ask him to do at the line of scrimmage more than your average college quarterback and because some of this could be influenced by uh, Jim Harbaugh's previous experience of the pros and how much we see a lot of this stuff in the NFL all the time so he's doing that he was able to get the ball to his playmakers underneath that created big plays one of their biggest plays of the game the long touchdown is a pretty routine crossing route where he hits him and and he can lead his receivers on those crossing routes the same way that we saw ohio state pump up a lot of quarterbacks the same way with it's like these crossing routes college defenses just freak out uh even on that tipped ball catch it was the same sort of thing where the receivers running wide open because they're crossing each other the one thing i wonder about with mccarthy though is one, like how much of it is the underneath stuff. And if we're talking about a downfield passing offense for the Vikings, how is that going to fit? Because you just don't see McCarthy push the ball downfield all that often. And uh, a lot of the receivers are running open underneath and then looking for yards after catch. They lean on their running back a lot more than they lean on their quarterback, which also kind of makes you go like, all right, is that there was some stat. And I know a lot of it's because they were winning, but there was some stat that he only had thrown 20 passes in the fourth quarter of games this year or something like that. Like you could tell that they have really leaned heavily on their running back. So if you're going to be Kevin O'Connell's quarterback, is very clear that it's all on you. I went through this yesterday for my article uh, at, I don't know, two in the morning or something. I was looking through the play-by-play writing after the game. And there were about five different opportunities where Kevin O'Connell had like a second and medium where he could have run the ball and passed on every single one of them. And like that... (laughs) 
what you're going to be asking somebody to do. And that's not what they ask JJ McCarthy to do. Uh, I also wonder about a superpower. So you mentioned the running ability, like Jalen Milrow, the running ability is obscene. The guy they meant, they said he hit 20 miles an hour more than anybody else this year. Uh, just, I mean, his passing is, is up and down. The rest of their team is up and down, but you could see like, there's, there's a playmaking run, running quarterback. That's what it looks like. McCarthy is more of a, Oh, if he scrambles at the right time, he's fast enough to get up to a high speed and make a play. But is that really like a dynamic element of his game? I don't think that it is. You don't see him dropping back, looking to run. It's more of if he has to scramble, he's quick enough uh, to get some yards there. But I, I don't see that as like this will be a running quarterback. He's pretty good when scrambling or, or when on the move, like when he rolls out, he can throw some accurate balls. But I don't feel like he has amazing touch, and I don't feel like he has an amazing like rocket howitzer arm. So what's the what's the superpower when you look at the best quarterbacks in the league? All of them have Joe Burrow's got his accuracy and his playmaking. Lamar Jackson has gestures at everything. Like you know, the, the, there's always this one thing. C.J. Stroud, the way he throws the football, it is elite. So what is that about J.J. McCarthy? That's why if you were making a comp to like Mac Jones, you could probably say that's pretty fair. I would even say someone like Desmond Ritter, who a lot of draft analysts liked, but had the same sort of thing where he was a great leader. He was a plus guy. He ran very fast in the combine. But there wasn't that one thing that made him special. And in the NFL, he's just kind of a guy. So that, that's still what I sort of see with J.J. McCarthy. But there's no doubt that uh, beating Alabama, regardless of how it happens, is impressive from the quarterback perspective. Absolutely. And it's just it's a lot of times it's how you handle being on the big stage with everybody watching and knowing what's at stake. You know what I mean? All I mean everything that Michigan has gone through with all the controversy with Harbaugh being suspended for games and, you know, McCarthy having to kind of navigate through that as a team leader, the, the talk about how they have performed in college football playoffs in the past, the, the previous two years, it didn't go well for them. So that was kind of hanging over his head too. And I think to just have the, the emotional maturity to be able to handle that, keep the team together, inspire your teammates to go out and make plays as well. I think is a is a plus trait for him. But yeah, you're right. I, I think it's just how are some of the things that he can do physically, how are that how are they going to translate to the NFL? And from a again, from a Vikings perspective, is that going to fit what Kevin O'Connell wants to do with his quarterback and his offense? And I'm not sure it is. Yeah, I think you can probably make both arguments because you could say that O'Connell really needs somebody at the line of scrimmage who's masterful at doing all the checks and changes. And it's sort of too bad that Nick Mullins can't throw a football very well because he can do all of that stuff, but just can't deliver the throws where they're supposed to go and how they're supposed to get there. So you could make that uh, argument that, look, if McCarthy is going to be able to handle so much at the line of scrimmage because he's already done a lot of that in Michigan. I don't think it's a cheap offense. I don't think it's one of these like gimmicky, just spread them out and throw a bunch of bubble screens. Like I think that, that he's having to do a lot of work there reading defenses, but there's nothing even close to NFL defenses in college. So right. how you're able to do that, like does it translate? That's a really hard thing to figure out. And the one thing that can balance that is like, 
a, a rocket arm or great speed or whatever the, uh, the thing might be that separates that quarterback from the rest. So I, I don't think that anybody's it, wherever you stood on JJ McCarthy, your mind wasn't changed here. If you're a little skeptical, like I am, then you're not walking out of that going, Oh my gosh, he just put up 400 and it was downfield passes. No, I mean, it was a lot of underneath stuff that turned into big yards after catch. But if you like him because of the way he operates the team, then you still like him because of the way he operates the team. And we're Kyle Shanahan would like him. I think Kyle well, Shanahan would like him. That might be, I mean, that might be the comp that you're looking for, though, right? Is like a Brock Purdy, which is, are we going to? Are we going to talk about every guy who doesn't have a huge arm? Are we going to do this? Uh, I, I mean, he's he's more physically gifted than Brock Purdy, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, he is. He's 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 bigger. I think he does. I think he has a little bit of a stronger arm. He doesn't have a great arm, but I think his arm's stronger than Brock Purdy's is. I think for him, it's it's just going to come down to like where he ends up. You know, somebody's going to draft him. I don't know if he's going to be. A, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick, but like. Somebody's going to draft J.J. McCarthy, and if it's the right system and it's the right coach, the right offensive mind that can kind of look at what he does really well and allow that to kind of translate to their offense, then I think he can have some success in the league and, and be in the league for a while. But it's going to depend on, I think, who, who ends up with him. Uh, I'm already getting texts from Jeremiah Searles and Dane Mizzitani about uh, Michael Penix. So uh, the chat is going to have to keep us updated for the beginning of this game. And we're going to go till, as we always do, around 9 o'clock. And, of course, then we'll go watch the rest of the game, which is great because it'll be halfway through the first quarter. Uh, and <laughs> It takes forever. They had the end of a basketball game there with uh, three straight timeouts before we finally got the last play. But with Penix, regardless of what happens tonight, Penix is the guy that throughout this time, oh, he's already got a touchdown. That's why. Um, he is the guy that throughout the season I've watched the most of, and I feel like has a plus leadership and the arm, just the arm. I mean, the anticipation, the accuracy, yeah. and what you really see is talk about a guy who's operating a lot of offense. Doing, doing a lot at the line of scrimmage, but it really is standing in the shotgun and throwing footballs all over the place. Is there, he's most of their offense. And that's why I've kind of stood on, on his side a little bit more than McCarthy's throughout this. And, I, and I'm interested to see how he plays the rest of the night. How have you felt? I don't know how much of Penix that you've seen, but I have felt more and more as this season has gone along that. Penix is the type of quarterback that would really work for what Kevin O'Connell wants because he's very good at hitting the underneath guy who's open. He's very good at not taking sacks, which is a massive deal to me. When college guys mm -hmm. take sacks, I am very, very nervous. He barely ever takes sacks. He gets rid of the football, but when it, it when he has to throw it, this man can make a very serious throw downfield. So I, I don't know how much you've seen, but I, I am still very intrigued by the idea of Michael Penix. Yeah, no, I, I like Michael Penix, too. I I watched him, you know, quite a bit when he was at Indiana, you know, before the um, the ACL injuries and everything that he that he had. And, and he was really good and productive there. And that was that was at Indiana. That was much more of kind of a gimmicky type of offense that he was running uh, with the Hoosiers a couple of years ago. And then when he transferred to Washington, they're kind of running a little bit something a little bit closer to to what they're doing in the NFL but 
like you said, the arm is just the arm is ridiculous. He he kind of in a lot of ways, it it kind of reminds me of Jeff George, like a left-handed Jeff George a little bit. Because you'd watch Jeff George. How many times did we see Jeff George just like just kind of just whip it, you know, off his back foot and just whip it like 50 yards down the field? You know what I mean? Michael Penix can do a lot of those same things where you're watching him, he'll take the snap out of the shotgun and he's backing up because there's a rush coming towards him. And then he, the ball just whips out of his arm and it goes downfield like 40 yards and he completes it for a touchdown. So he's got – the arm is is ridiculous. There are concerns about his mobility. I share those concerns too because just because of, you know, the, the ACL injuries and everything that's really kind of hampered his ability to move around. He could actually move around pretty good before all of that when he was at Indiana, but um, not so much anymore after the injury. So I think that's going to be a question – a question mark for him. But again, if Kevin O'Connell was looking for a guy that can have a rocket arm and really push the ball down the field. And like you said, doesn't take sacks, gets rid of the ball when he needs to throws with anticipation and timing. Then Michael Penix seems like, seems like the right fit there. I was thinking uh, last night when uh, I was watching Jaron Hall, just about how difficult it is when you don't have that elite trait. And that's the thing about Jaron Hall is that he is a very mature guy who can throw the football okay and has okay athleticism and got drafted for those reasons. But there's nothing that gives him that answer. And one of the things about Michael Penix that I really like is he's humongous. Like you mentioned Jeff George. And my, Michael Penix, I don't know what his height weight is. He has the biggest hands and the longest arms. Like this dude is pretty damn big so it kind of reminds me somebody said uh, jared goff in the comments kind of actually does remind me of jared goff where it's it's this yeah. big dude with this big arm who can sling it and that may be a very good fit for what the vikings want to do but also if they lose this next game manny against detroit which kevin o'connell said he's made the decision about who their quarterback is going to be but he will tell us i assume on wednesday uh who that's going to be Personally, uh, I think it's dangerous to Jaron Hall's health to put him back out there. So you might as well go uh, with uh, Nick Mullins. You've already made Josh Dobbs the third quarterback. How do you go back to him and be like, look, J-Dub, uh, actually, can you just like try again? I mean, you just can't do that. It's gotta, it has to be, in my mind, Nick Mullins. Um, and after watching Hall, like the amount of times he gets sacked, you just can't. Like, you're you're risking him potentially just getting hurt. So uh, that's, that's what I think that they will do. Um, but I, I was just, I, I had this feeling about like the number of receivers who were open when we looked back at the game, they were there for him to make the plays, but it was a situation where you shouldn't really be trying to lean on him with a lot of, even if it's underneath routes, even if you are looking for yards after catch, they were leaning on him quite a bit, but that's just how it's going to be. Right. And they need somebody who's capable of being that guy. And, and what is Penix in college? Uh, there, there's actually maybe like a Philip rivers type of comp here with Penix, because it's that same sort of sidearm type of motion. Uh, people are bringing up Bo Nix. I wish, uh, I was very upset, Manny, today. Why did they have a triple-A team play against Oregon? Oregon was amazing, and they ran out whom? Against Liberty? I really yeah. wanted to watch Bo Nix with a critical eye, the same way we're talking about J.J. McCarthy, 
And instead, I watched him play a preseason football game against tech. Like, what are we what are we doing here? Uh, I have I don't I have liked Bo Nix as well. And I think it's Bo Nix does throw down the field a lot, does have a big arm. He is a legit athlete. He is a giant dude. His receivers are so open, though. I mean, so open all the time that I'm I I find it to be difficult to, you know, put a finger on. So uh, Penix is six, three, two Okay. So he's pretty big. He's pretty big. Yeah. That's, that's like a threshold of like, you're a big dude. Uh, but Bo Nix, like I, I just didn't get a chance to really evaluate him today. Yeah. It's hard when you're going up against uh Liberty, a team that, you know, won all their games, but was in a group of five conference and not really all that good anyway. And uh, it's, I mean, that's kind of the tough thing about, about these bowl games and some of the, little stipulations that they put in were like the highest ranked group of five team that, you know, is undefeated or went like 11 and one or something like that gets into one of these new year six games. Uh, well, a lot of times when you do that, you get what we saw in the Fiesta bowl today. So um, yeah, I mean, Bo Nix, the physical traits are, are there. And, and I give him a lot of credit because things did not go well for him at Auburn and he transferred and went to a place where he could have, you know, where he could kind of grow his game, develop, and um, and and get better uh, with a with a more with an offense that could be, you know, better suited for his skill set. And and he answered the call. And he's he's another one of those like really high character guys. His story with his um, with his teammate that's like his adopted brother is a great great story, and the bond that they have too is really cool. Um, and he's got the physical traits, man. He's a he's a good athlete. He can now that's a guy, that's a guy that can run. Like as a quarterback, he's a guy that is really mobile, very quick, um, and and can run and, and get to where he needs to get gets, uh, get to where he needs to be. And he can make a lot of really good throws down the field too. To your point, though, it, he's throwing to a lot of guys that are <laughs> defenders are not within five yards of them, and so it's a lot of like. The throws look easy, but he is, to his credit, he's throwing them. They're right on the money. He's not throwing behind his receivers. He's not leading them too far. You know, the guys are wide open, but he's hitting them right right in between the numbers. He's throwing it exactly where it needs to be. So it'll it'll be interesting to see where he goes to. I could see, I could see a fit here. You know, I could see Kevin O'Connell looking at him and 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 liking that athletic aspect of his game of moving around a bit too. Um but again, it's just it's the arm talent. That's that's what Kevin O'Connell's looking for. And if you've got a if you've got an arm that can push the ball down the field, I think it makes sense from a Vikings perspective. All right. So here's a question. I I got sidetracked, but I was gonna ask, you know, if the Vikings lose this game, they could pick somewhere around that top 10 range. I don't know exactly because there's a lot to still be decided, but ballpark. If you had the choice, Manny. And and this we are so far away from drafting people, but I just watched someone who might be drafted. So I'm excited to talk about this. And also, I don't want to discuss yesterday's game anymore, ever again. It was miserable. <laughs> uh, great pregame meal. And that's all I can say about it. But if the Vikings are drafting, let's say 12th, let's just say. And you have the option between trading multiple first round draft picks to move up to get Jaden Daniels or staying where you are and taking whoever Kevin O'Connell likes the most between Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy, and Michael Penix, which would you do? Oh, 
That's a great question. Um, if I can get up into the top five, depending on how much it would take in terms of draft capital, I would do it. Especially if you can, if you got an opportunity where, like, if the Bears, if the Bears take Caleb Williams number one overall, okay, and if you think you can get up to number two, which I don't know who's. Is, is Arizona still sitting in the two spot? Who's sitting at number two right now? I, um, I don't know. Might be the Patriots now. I think the Patriots are at the number two spot now. Okay. Well, yeah, then it gets a little tricky because they're probably thinking about if if Caleb Williams goes one to the Bears, then Drake May is probably going to go two to the Patriots, I would think. Um, but then, you know, depending on who that number three team is, if you can get up into that spot and then Jaden Daniels is maybe there, I would do that. That's the route I would go. Now, if you don't think you're going to be able to get one of those top three guys, even if you move up or if you just it's not feasible to move up because the spot you want to move into is a, you know, with a team that also wants to take a quarterback. Then I, I I'm leaning Michael Penix at 12 because I think it he just it feels like he's. He would be the guy of that sort of that next tier after those top three guys. He would be the guy to me that would seem like to be the guy that Kevin O'Connell would want the most to fit into his offense. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about prize picks this year. But if you've missed it, here's how it works. You go to prizepicks.com, and it is simple. You pick either more or less between two and six player stat projections and that's it. Now you're playing. So if it's X number of yards for a quarterback, you just decide, are they going to throw for more or less than that number of yards? But it works with lots of different options, receiving yards, touchdowns, even field goals, all sorts of sports as well. Prizepicks.com slash purple. Go there. Use the code purple for the first deposit match up to $100. One of the reasons I like prize picks, it is very simple to use. You see how we do it on the show real quick and easy and then we talk about our picks and also not expensive either you can turn ten dollars into 250 by nailing just a couple of picks so go to prizepicks.com purple the code purple daily fantasy sports made easy this is a very tricky one because i think that Jaden daniels is such a dynamic talent that mm-hmm. He could be really special. He could yeah. be, and and comparing anyone to Lamar Jackson who's going to win his second MVP is silly. But really, though, I mean, the running ability, him and Anthony Richardson. So we didn't get to see it that much with Richardson, but those are the two best running quarterbacks since Lamar. And uh, uh, Daniels was absolutely dominant on the ground. But the thing is that Daniels is farther ahead by quite a bit as a passer from the other guys who are considered running quarterbacks. He's farther ahead as a passer than Lamar. He's probably farther ahead as a passer than even Jalen Hurts was. And we saw his massive improvement over a couple of years and how the running impacted. Uh, And then we'll see about Anthony Richardson, who already before he got hurt, looked like he was improving as a passer in the NFL. But Daniel's a way better passer in college than Anthony Richardson was. And just as dangerous as a runner. The trouble is that I'm thinking about the whole roster for the future. And I know that you get the advantage of the cap space and everything else, but how many difference makers are on this team is 
something that I wanted to talk about tonight. We've gotten so into the the draft talk that I'm already excited about that. But how many difference makers are on this team right now who we can surely say will be uh, on the team in 2024? Uh, Justin Jefferson, he's under contract, folks. He hasn't demanded a trade, so he's on the team. Christian Derisaw is a difference-making left tackle. Had a tough game against the Packers, but man, everybody did. Garrett Bradbury graded a five, by the way. he uh, Kenny Clark will live in that man's nightmares forever. But mm-hmm. who else? Jordan, Jordan Addison right now is a, is a nice player. I would not say he's like the game changer. You have him. You are, you are scary to everybody else, right? Like he's, he's good. He's good. But I wouldn't put him in that same category. And that's all I got. Because Harrison Smith could retire or is not the same version of the guy he was. Daniel Hunter might not be here. Ivan Pace Jr., a nice player who can make a difference, but not that guy. So you got two. And if you're trading multiple firsts to go up and get Jaden Daniels, and then you got to get other play, you know, other like the difference makers that you want to use your first round picks on. And the one from 2022 is not the difference maker. Uh, and neither is the second pick in 2022 either. That That's where it's a little bit hard for me. I do think that there's a big gap between the, the prospect talent that Daniels is a much better prospect than the other guys because they all have their reasons to be concerned. Like Bo Nix's history before this year was pretty meh and Penix is older. He's had some injuries and, you know, and you could go down the list. We talked about McCarthy at the beginning of the show. I think that I would, even though it's not historically always the greatest idea to trade up. I mean, the, the bears did it for fields. The results have been pretty mixed. The Chiefs did it for Mahomes, though, and that worked out pretty well. Philadelphia yep. did it for Carson Wentz because their roster was right there, very close to being a Super Bowl roster. But I, I think the Vikings is farther away, so I, that that would be a, a very, very, uh, very, very tricky decision if that's what they have. Uh, but I also reject the idea that Jaden Daniels can't play for Kevin O'Connell. I, I think the way he throws the football. Uh, and then you add the running element, which O'Connell did not build anything offensively for a running quarterback because his quarterback was Kirk Cousins. So he would do that. <laughs> he would he'd Google that. How do I deal with a running quarterback? He would figure that out. I promise. Uh, what do you think, Manny, that the Chicago Bears do with Justin Fields? Well, I think what I think what I think they should do and what I think they will do might be two different things. Um, I personally, I think they need to move on um, because I don't think that he has shown enough to indicate that he is going to be able to be a guy that they can have long term and get them, you know, get them in a position where they're contending for Super Bowls. I just don't see it. I think there is talent there and I think he has shown some improvement, but I don't think we've seen enough improvement from him to think like. Yep, this is the guy we're going to pay him, you know, and I got to make a decision on 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 paying him, you know, giving him a big contract. And you don't want to have a Daniel Jones with the Giants type of situation with Justin Fields, because then you're kind of stuck. Um, but I I'm starting to wonder. I, I'm starting to wonder if they're going to consider just keeping him around and maybe getting that number one pick from Carolina and trading down a couple spots to get more picks much like what they did last year 
Um, I'm starting to wonder if they're going to do that because they have seen some improvement from Justin Fields. And are they going to have it in their head like, all right, he's getting better now if we just if we get him this and we get him this player and we get this guy on defense and get these guys, then, you know, Justin will be all right. He'll be he'll be fine. I think it's a dangerous gamble to make. I'm kind of thinking that that's the route that they may end up going, though. But I I think that they should take that number one pick from the Panthers and just take the next quarterback and move on. And if you flip Justin Fields for like a third or a fourth round pick, then so be it. So from following people uh, who talk about the Chicago Bears, you would think that Justin Fields was in the MVP race. But when you look at the totality of what he's done this year, now his running cannot be ignored. It is truly elite, literally all-time great running when you look at what he did last year. Uh, so you can't just say, oh, well, he kind of runs. Like that's a that's a big deal. And that got ignored sometimes weirdly when you looked at the stats of someone like Cam Newton. He'd throw for 3,400 yards and then he'd run for 712 touchdowns and be like, well, look at his quarterback rating. So I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I always thought that Cam Newton – uh, was a winning player in a major, major part because of his running ability. So let's not downplay that. But Justin Fields is the 21st overall graded quarterback this year by PFF. He has 2,400 yards, under seven yards per pass attempt, an 85 quarterback rating. Like all of that is very mediocre quarterback play from a passing yep. perspective. His running is so good that you can make it up. But if I try to make the other side of the argument, if you look at the is the is the team continue to improve around him because they're going to make this argument in Green Bay about Jordan Love as well, that the more he got on the same page with DJ Moore and the more that they trusted each other, DJ Moore emerged as an elite wide receiver. And if you pair him with Marvin Harrison Jr., you might have like Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne type of situation here or what they had with Atlanta, like a Roddy White, Julio Jones type of deal. And if you can pair receivers together, you can improve your quarterback's play by quite a bit. And think about it this way. If Justin Fields were to have Marvin Harrison Jr. as the top draft pick and then struggle again next year, you just draft somebody else or look for another quarterback to put in with these two elite wide receivers and try to go forward that way. That's the argument against it. I mean, it's it's tough. Like Caleb Williams has more holes in his game than people thought was, was going to be the case. And that also is what gives me pause as well. Because there's a part of me that wants to see, all right, what's it going to look like when Fields plays a full season with this defense playing like it, it has, their offensive line playing like it has, and two of the best wide receivers on earth that might be pretty good if he's even 5% better as a passer and the running game, then they're going to be a really good team. They have seven wins. Like they're going to be a really good team. So I think it's, it's, it is a seminal moment for this franchise, but at the same time, what is dominating? What is dominating is rosters in the NFC. It's not just quarterbacks, it's rosters. And if you draft, imagine if they trade out of one to like three or four, still draft Marvin Harrison Jr. and then pick like ninth. Oh my God. Like they're just yeah. getting so much yeah. talent. And so, or or they trade it for another player. Like Ryan Poles is, is clearly love trading for players. So I think that it's not a bad idea if they actually stay with Justin Fields 
And, and if he can't get them over the hump, they look elsewhere after that because their roster is just going to be so incredible at that point. It's tough, though. Yeah, it is very tough. And I think it's just going it, to it's it's kind of like I don't know if there is a perfect answer for them. It's just it's almost like you just say. Ryan Poles, make whatever decision you make, and it just has to be the right one. It just has to work out like you can't. You know, because there is sort of that if you take if you stay stand pat with the number one pick and you take Caleb Williams and things don't work out for him either because of some of the weaknesses that he's kind of shown this year, those things get exposed and he can't really translate it to the NFL the way, you know, everybody thought it would. Now you're really in a tough spot because then what do you do? You've just like kicked away another, you know, top draft pick that is not working out for you and when you when you swing and miss on a quarterback it just it can really really set your team back and put your team in a situation where you're now you're making moves to try and cover that up and and make that up which is kind of why the bears are in the the spot that they're in right now because there's question marks about justin fields if they had hit on justin fields like if we just knew for sure like this guy is awesome he's going to be great he's fantastic then the bears are in a really good spot because now that decision is pretty easy, you know, but it's, it's a tough spot. I'm fascinated to see what they do. Um, if they, you know, if, if they get Marvin Harrison and it, and it works out and then whatever that other top 10 pick is going to be, you know, it could be somebody on defense to help, you know, that they, they made a nice trade for Montez sweat. And we, we saw what he was able to do in that defense, you know, firsthand when the, they came to us bank stadium. So, um, I, I I will say this. The Bears are in a great spot. They're in a great situation to where there's a lot of options and, you know, whatever they decide to do, it just has to be the right one. And if it is the right one, look out. It's the Bears, so they always make the wrong one. Like, that's who they are. So right <laughs> now, let me give you the order. And this is right now, so this can change, but I don't know how much it can change. So right now it's Chicago with the number one pick, then Washington at two, great tank by Washington, by the way, uh, they were bought by the guy who owns the 76ers and then they tanked we're, it's good. Well done. Well done. That team's going to go someplace if they, uh, well, I mean, they're in a spot where they could draft Drake may or Caleb Williams. Uh, that would be really good for them because since Kirk left, they have had nothing at quarterback, but they also passed up on Tua and Herbert to take an edge rusher. So I don't think they're going to make that mistake this time. So then you have new England after that and new England has to draft quarterback as well. So if it goes Harrison and then Caleb Williams, Drake may, then you've got Arizona, the giants, the chargers, the giants, I think are in a spot where they would draft Jaden Daniels at number five, or at least they should. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest mistakes you could have made was paying Daniel Jones. So they've got a bail on that, but also you could allow Daniels to sit for a year and rebuild that around the Daniel Jones and build up the roster a little bit and give Daniels a year to progress like with Patrick Mahomes or with Jordan Love for multiple years. But I, I, I still love that model, though. Like, I still think that's really smart when teams can do it. They just can't do it very often. The Giants would be the team that would be able to do that. Arizona is a wild card here. Like, do they want a quarterback to trade Kyler? Or do they want to stick with Kyler and try to build that up in the same way that the Lions did with Jared Goff and build around a good but not truly legendary type of quarterback? 
I mean, already there is just so much drama with this. But how if you're the Vikings, my question is they're 12th right now, the Vikings, and there's four teams that are seven and nine. Wow. Even if you're able to get toward the top of that, like ninth, how do you end up getting someone to trade you any of these positions to get the quarterback when all these teams need them at the top. So that's why I think it's very, very difficult to see them being able to take someone in that top three. But if you're, if you're Chicago, the it's like, man, you're, you're good. If you, no matter what you do, but you're also going to be second guessed. If it goes wrong, if you stick with fields and he comes out next year, the same way he did this year, fumbling around and you win seven games next year, everyone's going to go, Oh my gosh, you passed up on that other quarterback. Or you could look like a genius because Marvin Harrison Jr. is unbelievable and they win, you know, 14 games or something. The thing is, they were able to get to seven after that horrific start and how bad they played and at like rebuilding that team. That it's it's been a very impressive, very, very impressive second half of the season for the Bears. The other thing I want to talk with you about, Manny, is the Vikings needs outside of the quarterback position because if you think that this is a lot of quarterback talk, oh, buddy, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about it. And whether we're talking about it through April or just March is uh, is the big question. But what do you, what would you say if, if I were to ask you three biggest things the Vikings need that are not a quarterback and how they can get them? What, what do you got? What's your list? Well, one for sure, I think interior defensive front – I think is is one and and it's not that that unit is necessarily bad because they've for the most part been really good against the run this year um but i i think they need more of like an impact pass rusher to come from the interior to get a little bit more of a push to get in the face of quarterbacks you know in situations where okay if let's say daniel hunter is brought back for next year you know if you know, Hunter is, is having a tough time getting a pass rush. You know what I mean? Can somebody else kind of pick up the slack? Can somebody on that interior front um, kind of pick up the slack and get some get some pressure um, up the middle? So that's one. That's that's where I would like to see some improvement there on the defensive side. Uh, probably number three wide receiver is probably one that I think you might have to look at. You know, I know TJ Hawkinson is kind of, I guess kind of the de facto number three guy, number two guy in that in that passing attack, but like a true number three wide out because it looks like KJ Osborne is not going to be back. Um, you know, Brandon Powell showed some signs, I think, of you know, being a guy that you could rely on, but like, is he gonna be back? You know, how much, you know, how much improvement will we see from him as well? So that might be a situation where uh or they might want to look at that. I'm trying to think of, you know, I, I guess you, you can never have too many corners. You know what I mean? I, I know they've got some young guys that have shown some signs. Um, but, you know, if you can get, you know, another guy in here to just to kind of add some depth to the to the cornerback position, uh, I think that'll be helpful, too. Yeah, uh, for for me, the interior defensive line with the pass rush is a great point because 
I don't remember the last time that it was good. I mean, it must have been 2018 with Sheldon Richardson is the last time it was difference making. They brought back Richardson in 21, but he was not the same. And um, I like there was a lot of Shamar Stefan. A lot of Shamar Stefan. It's just like Shamar Stefan is just like Jonathan Bullard, where I like the guy. I think he's very useful, but there's been a lot of Jonathan Bullard, and that's probably too much when yeah. you're talking about pass rushing situations. You can't always just blitz. You can't always just move Daniel Hunter around, which I've liked that Flores is doing that. He had a great pass rush on Jordan Love on one play over the center, but you're going to have to. Uh, find someone who can get consistently to the quarterback, even if it's just a rotational player. They didn't even have a rotational player who could do that. And and from the inside, that is a big deal to me, even just to find one of those dudes who's played for like five teams, but gets you know enough pressures per year and a handful of sacks and so forth. They don't even have that guy. But it, the biggest thing is what's happening at edge rusher. If Daniil Hunter is staying it's going to be expensive. This man has 15 yeah. and a half sacks. He has at last check 74 pressures, which is up toward the top of the NFL. And I'm, I was trying to investigate the prices of edge rushers. And there's like, it kind of splits into two different types. The mega rusher, the TJ Watt, the Nick Bosa, these guys, there is no chance you could pay him and pay Jefferson and pay Christian Darisaw and build a complete roster. I just don't know how you're going to do it. Uh, right. And that might just be too much and too risky for a guy that still does have the injury history. There's like this other level, though, of Hassan Reddick, Shaq Barrett, guys who have had big sack seasons that were a little bit later in their 20s that got more reasonable contracts. And if Daniil Hunter is willing to go for that, which is more in the 20-something range, uh, more of like the 30-something guaranteed range. I think the Vikings can do that, but they can't do the elite, elite, elite type of pass rusher. And I think if you're another team that feels like you're a pass rusher away, how are you not offering Daniel Hunter that? And they cannot franchise tag him, which is very important that they put in his contract. Nah, 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 nah. No mm. franchise tagging me, buddy. So they've got to make that decision. Also, it might be his decision. If somebody didn't buy into you for like four straight years to sign you to the big deal, are you going to give them first priority? Now, maybe Daniel just likes it here. I'm kind of feeling like he's going to go somewhere else, which means two edge rushers are very much needed. And when you bring up corner, that was really revealed. I like a lot about Makai Blackman. Uh, we saw the weaknesses of a Caleb Evans really play out over the last few weeks. He got absolutely cooked uh, against the Packers. He missed tackles. Like he had a really tough ending to the season and Byron Murphy jr. Is a good, a good player, but I want him as more of a nickel then I do this, hey, you go guard the other team's best wide receiver. You'd rather have some of these guys rotating in than being like the guy. So you kind of need that as well. And then uh, the wide receiver, you mentioned that third wide receiver spot, I think is very valuable. And we don't know how long TJ Hawkinson is going to be out because it wasn't just an ACL. It was an MCL as well. That could take him into 
the middle of next season, possibly. And uh, uh, look, Johnny Munt's a fine NFL player, belongs in the league, but it's not TJ Hawkinson when it comes to uh, you know making difficult catches that are way behind him or whatever. Uh, that wasn't Johnny Munt's fault. He didn't deserve that. But it's he's not a difference maker. Josh Oliver's not a difference maker. So you're going to need somebody else to kind of bridge that gap until TJ Hawkinson is back to 100% for next season. It's not actually that easy to find your number three wide receiver in free agency because teams keep good wide receivers for one. They know how valuable they are, but guys who are like KJ Osborne, I don't think Osborne's going to get a huge deal, but guys who are like him, they usually get a decent amount of money. Like Jacoby Myers got a decent amount of money. Adam Thielen, who is really a number three at this point in his career, he tracked down a decent amount of money. It's not, it's, you, you're probably spending like 10 million and then you have to decide what you're doing at guard. Are you bringing back Dalton Reisner as well? And I think what this all ties into, I asked you for three and I've named like most of the roster. Uh, what it really ties back into Manny is when we talk about Kirk Cousins coming back, some people are very sure Kirk Cousins is coming back. I have a very difficult time making that work with all the things that you and I just named. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know where I stand, and and this is not a, a a shot at Kirk. I'm not trying to say he's bad or anything like that. Well, first of all, there's just kind of this unknown of what he's going to look like when he comes back from this Achilles injury, and he's going to be a year older. He's going to be 36. And I just think that with where this roster is at, with where this team is at going forward, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to bring Kirk Cousins back unless he's going to come back for on a massive, massive discount. And we have never known Kirk Cousins to give anybody a massive, massive discount. Even when they've restructured, it's it's been to free up a, a few million dollars here and there to free up cap space. But his cap number has always been large for as long as he's been here. So even if he's going to say, I'll come back for 28 to 30 million instead of like 40, like what Daniel Jones is getting, like that's still a pretty hefty number, you know, considering all the other needs that the roster that you're going to have with the roster and having to pay your, your, your superstar wide receiver and your, your star left tackle as well. And, you know, and if you're, if, if Daniel Hunter does want to come back, like, you want to bring him back if it's a if it's a decent number and he wants to be here. You want to bring him back. So there's just too many there's there's too many other you know needs and and financial commitments that are going to be need to be made um, to to I think bring back her cousins at at the price that we think that he's probably going to get. It just doesn't make a lot of you know financially. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to you know with where this roster is at. So just pulling this up right now, and I haven't really done this because we've been like horse blinders into the playoff race and the season and so forth. So I haven't really gone and looked like, okay, what, you know, is the price and so forth for Kirk Cousins. And I just counted up real quickly. So if I made a mistake off one, uh, I'm sorry, but I believe there are now 13 quarterbacks in the league who are making 40 million plus. And some of those include... Daniel Jones, uh, Deshaun Watson, the worst contract of all time, but Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. Now, these are guys that 
I think we might say uh, uh, Kirk Cousins is at least comparable or better than for some of them. Daniel Jones, for sure. Maybe depends on your feeling on Kyler Murray. I think we all know that the ceiling is higher for Kyler Murray than Kirk Cousins. But as far as consistent season after season, uh, that has not been the case with Kyler Murray. He's kind of had his moments. He's not in the same range as a Mahomes or a Josh Allen. He may consider himself in the same range as a Stafford or Dak Prescott. Again, in my opinion, those guys are a shade ahead. Uh, Stafford, at the way he's playing this year, is probably two shades ahead. Uh, well, I guess the same with Prescott. Both of them are sort of playing at really high levels. But still, based on their histories, there's a lot of numbers and a lot of really good play. But if you compare their numbers to Kirk, just traditional stats, you're going to find a lot of similarities. So how is he going to walk into a negotiation? He's also been, Derek Carr for a long time was the comp. He's also been quite a bit better than Derek Carr over the last couple seasons. How, he's he's going to have to argue, I'm better than Derek Carr, who's making 37. So I'm better than yeah. Daniel Jones. I'm better than Derek Carr. I'm in the same range as Stafford and as Dak Prescott. And the thing is that Matthew Stafford's deal is one the Vikings could do with Kirk. If you look at it, the structure is really interesting. All they did was push everything into the future. They took all of his money. His, it's actually crazy. I'll pull it up and I'll read it to you because it's nuts what they did with Matthew Stafford. And this is what happens when your quarterback wins the Super Bowl. You just go crazy. So he only has a $13 million dead cap for last year. Only $13 million for last year. And only 20 for this year. Now, if Kirk Cousins had cap hits of 13 and 20, then you'd feel like you're in great shape. The problem is, Next year, Matthew Stafford's cap hit is 49 million, and then it is 50 and then 49. And if you cut him, uh, next year it's an 86 million dollar dead cap hit, the year after that, 37 million dollar dead cap hit. So if you are willing to push all the money down the road into the future and either add crazy void years or take like the risk of have like if he gets hurt again or something, just having like no option other than his huge cap hit, you could do it. But to me, Manny, you only do that if you're in a Super Bowl window. And I think what we 100%. really saw in the last few games is that this team is not in a Super Bowl window yet. No, they're not. And you know, you 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 have to you have to be smart with this stuff. You can't just say, well, look at how Kirk was playing before he got hurt. And, you know, look at how bad these these backups have been. If, you know, if Kirk were playing, this team would be this, you know, have this. I mean, you bring Kirk Cousins back, it's not going to, you know, all of the other issues that this team needs that we just talked about a few minutes ago. Kirk Cousins isn't going to fix those things. And with him being 36 and coming off a major injury, is he going to be able to cover up those weaknesses, you know, the way we've seen other great quarterbacks do. We saw Aaron Rodgers cover up weaknesses in the Packers roster for many, many years. Patrick Mahomes is, has done that. Now we're seeing this year, there's just, you know, particularly on offense, there's just way too many weaknesses in the Chiefs offense for even Mahomes to overcome um, as we've seen their, their struggles this year. So you have to ask yourself, like, is this a roster that can – Go on a deep run if you bring Kirk Cousins back. If it is, then by all means, bring him back. You know, I mean, I'm I'm all for that. But I just see too many holes on this roster to to you know have that be have that be an option. And we have to remember, 
you know, this team started out 0-3 and 1-4 with Kirk Cousins playing at quarterback. Like, I know he was playing really well before he got hurt, and they were on their way to being, you know, winning that game against Green Bay and improving their record to 5-4, and four, and who knows where they'd be at if Kirk were still healthy. But that was still the team that had a bad start to the season, and that was on his watch. <laughs> so it kind of shows that this roster, there are good pieces here, and I think they're headed in the right direction. I think they've got the right people running the show. But they, but we need more. The roster needs, still needs work, and you're not going to be able to fix that by just bringing Kirk Cousins back on a, even on a, on a cheaper deal. There's still other moves that need to be made. Uh, Michael Penix, by the way, five for seven for 138 yards so far. So he's off to a pretty good start, and uh, Washington yeah, leads Texas uh, 14 to seven, which uh, we'll wrap up shortly because both of us really want to watch. Uh, although this hour has just flown by, like when you get into the quarterback thing, I mean, we just start, they just start rolling. <laughs> but when you really lay it out, when you really just write out the roster, put it out on paper. You, you encircle the things that you need. It's just hard to get around to they're right there. And that might be the lasting legacy of the Packer blowout of New Year's Eve is it was on display just how many things you really need. Because if you lose one or two defensive players, you shouldn't go from a really great uh, defense to a horrific defense that easily could have given up 50. I mean, if Jordan Love doesn't miss a couple open passes early in the game, I mean, that thing could have been 28 nothing uh, at half or by the end of the first quarter, it could have been. They were, they were not stopped at all. And look, that, you know, it's Brian Flores did a, a great job this year. I will not come off that. They, they'll probably finish in the top 15, which is better than I think I would have expected. And maybe the best case scenario for what they have as a roster, but that's the point, right? Like if your only answer is we have to have our defensive coordinator do everything under the sun. And oh, by the way, he's got to do it against a run of quarterbacks that weren't all that good. And it's not that it doesn't count to shut out Aiden O'Connell, but it certainly helps that it's Aiden O'Connell, right? And uh, when it's a Jordan Love offense that's been cooking, then all of a sudden you look different. And when you look at the defense, every time they played a good team and a good offense, they had problems. And uh, the Packers, you know, sort of the exception, but they looked way, way better this time than they did last time. And that, and that to me should be the difference maker, uh, along with the quarterback class that I, I think has enough prospects to pick your choice. If you got th from three different guys that you like who could be there, if it's Knicks, Penix and McCarthy, does any one of them float your boat as a guy uh, who could step into that role? So it, it's we are set up for a lot of very interesting discussions as uh, we go forward. Uh, I was just going to ask uh, Manny, and I, I know that uh, we got so far deep into this, but I, I just want to end with the, a little brief discussion. And I want to pull this up here. Uh, ESPN's playoff machine. Hold on. I want to pull up our playoff machine so we can take a look at what these playoff matchups look like. And uh, so right now, Let's let's run through. I'm just going to run through to end the show here. Who you think will win if the playoffs end up this way, which who knows how they will. But if they end up this way, how it's going to go, I want you to pick it. So right now, Philadelphia would play Tampa Bay as the five versus the four. Uh, let's let's just start with there. I'll just start from kind of the bottom and, and work our way up. 
uh, or no, I'm sorry. Let's start on the other side of the bracket. Um, the seven versus the two green Bay versus Dallas in the seven versus the two, a game that I really wish John Madden and Pat Summerall were calling Aikman versus Favre Romo versus Aaron Rodgers at Dallas. Who do you think would win that game? If that happens? Uh, I think the Cowboys would, would win, you know, the Cowboys have been kind of up and down, but I think they're the better team and, and the Packers have looked a little bit better of late, but um, I think Dallas wins that game. They're, they're, Dallas is a different team at home this year. They've been fantastic at home and, and I think they'd get it done. I do have McCarthy concerns. I I do. I do that. There's going to be just like run the ball three times and we never have that debacle. And we're not talking the way we are about the lions as if they won that game. Uh, All right. The lions would play the Rams. That's a, that's, that's sign me. The the league is rigged. Sign me. The league is rigged. They rigged (laughs) this up. That's why the refs did it. That's why they screwed with the eligible receiver. That is the number one. I was thinking about that when, when you texted me earlier today. I was thinking about like the number one playoff matchup I would want to see for wild card weekend. And it's that one. It's the Rams and Lions. It's a great matchup. I think we'd see a lot of fireworks between both offenses because both offenses are really good. Both quarterbacks are really good. There's just there's so much the storylines, the history, Matthew Stafford going back to Detroit. For a playoff game, I mean, like, come on, like the Lions' first home playoff game in forever, and Matthew Stafford still is going to play in it. Like, how great is that? You know, um, the the you know Jared Goff going up against Sean McVay, like all of that stuff. If that's the matchup, sign me up. I'd be all for that. Never stop scripting the NFL, Roger Goodell. Never stop. That's a great one. I would. I'd pick the Rams. I th- I just think that they're playing too. great football and the Lions me defense too. scares me. It's, it's just, unless people are throwing the ball directly to them, like Nick Mullins, it's not a good defense. How about the other side? Jags and Browns. Joe Flacco Ooh. versus Trevor Lawrence, who's like barely alive still after the season, the way he's been beat up. Yeah, I would take the Browns in that one. I know Jacksonville would be at home, but the Browns just... Joe Flacco's playing well enough, and that roster, that Browns roster is loaded, man. They've got receivers. They've got an offensive line. They can run the ball. Their defense is amazing, you know, and Joe Flacco's doing just enough to just have them win games. And so I would take – and Jacksonville just hasn't – you know, rather it's Trevor Lawrence being banged up and just – they just have not looked good in like a month and a half. And so I think the Browns have a lot more momentum. And I think they'd go into Jacksonville and win. Jacksonville just did not quite take the step that we thought they were going to. Offensive line is a problem. Defense is still problematic. And Trevor Lawrence takes way too many hits. Uh, And so maybe uh, that's kind of a next year type of thing. Now, Miami would play Indianapolis, which I think we would both easily pick Miami for that one. And that doesn't have a lot of juice to it because it's Gardner Minshew. And we'll see if somebody else gets in, because if the Texans win, they get in. Then all of a sudden, that game could be very, very interesting. And I might pick the Texans to upset Miami because Miami is just I think look, I think Tua is a great quarterback. And but they are a little frail on the defensive side. And they're a little frail when anything goes wrong. Like if everything just, that their and, coach is. And they lost Bradley Chubb. Bradley yes, Chubb is out right. for the year. That's a huge blow to that defense. And Jalen Phillips is out for the year. 
So you're yeah. missing your two edge rushers. I think Xavier Howard's hurt. I mean, they just, they're in, they're in tough shape. And whenever something from their coach is not quite working, it's not like they have some other answer on that team. So I would probably pick the Houston Texans with CJ Stroud. And then how about this? If this, if it went down, like it, it, uh, it's set up right now, Buffalo Casey. I mean, come on, come on, Jim Kelly, Joe Montana, Arrowhead stadium. Let's go. Mahomes and Allen, man, sign me up. It's just it. It would be that it that, that those two teams have kind of become like the the modern, you know. Well, I guess modern like 49ers Packers. Like back, remember back in the nineties, the 49ers and Packers played each other like every year in the playoffs. I mean, they played like twelve or thirteen times in the postseason, you know, overall. But like back in the nineties, when it was Brett Favre and Steve Young, like it was just. It was great, and I, I think with Buffalo and Kansas City, we're seeing a lot of the same type of thing with Allen and Mahomes. Just that rivalry of two two of the great young quarterbacks in the league, and two of the teams that have been you know the most contending teams out of the uh, out of the AFC the last few years as well. So Super Bowl pick is right now very obvious. I think uh, in both conferences, there is a clear cut best team: Ravens, 49ers. They're going to be the one seeds. And if you're picking low key, though, I might go if it's if it's like a total surprise, total upset would be Buffalo and Los Angeles because both of them have great quarterbacks. Both teams stumbled in the middle of the season, but are actually really strong football teams. That would be like, how about how about for you? Like if it was one of those, we go, oh, who saw this coming? This is crazy. Who would it be for you? Dude. Joe Flacco and the Browns, dude, that, listen, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by what Joe Flacco is doing, but at the same time, you think about it, that roster, that's a really good roster, what the Browns have, especially on defense and, you know, a defense, if you have a really good defense and it travels well, you know, you get a, if they can get a matchup with Baltimore, I know Baltimore is so good, you know, with Lamar and that defense too, but it's it's two division rivals that know each other really well. There's so much history there with the Browns and Ravens, and the Browns just put together one day of like really good football. You know who knows could ha- what could happen. Yeah, I, I think the Browns are going to be a, a team to watch. How much gas in the tank does Flacco have? I think it will depend on that. Um, but yeah, and I like you know Buffalo and the Rams too. It's two teams with great quarterbacks and both really really good head coaches too. Um, this is going to be, this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I like Baltimore and San Francisco too, to, to come out of both conferences, but I think this, we're going to see a lot of really fun games this postseason. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. We've got to, we've got to get to this game, but just two quick things that people asked about that. I, I want to, um, oh my gosh, Penix is making more throws. I'm, I'm, t- I'm he's making the case. He's making the case. I'm just seeing it in the chat and I'm also getting text messages because Everybody knows by now that uh, Penix is my guy. So I'm getting all these texts like Penix has a cannon. Pen- oh, my God. Dane Mizutani just texted me. So, uh, yeah, it's going pretty well for him. Uh, just uh, Russell Wilson as an option for the Vikings. I'm I'm not really into that. Manny, are, are you into I that? No, nah, I don't like that. I don't think it's a fit. I don't. I don't. Russ played better this year, but I just don't. I just don't think, you know philosophically with what Kevin O'Connell likes to do. I don't know if Russ is really a fit at this stage of his career. 
six for eight, 190 yards for Penix. Six passes, oh 190 yards. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and the the other one was um, Len asked, and I lost it in the chat, but asked if um, about the owners not going to the locker room, which uh, our guy Alec Lewis mentioned in his article. Here's what I know about the Wilfs. They, it's sort of like Minnesota, Wisconsin, how if you get the axe, you feel a lot better about the year. If you beat the pack, the Wilfs feel a lot better. Games against the Packers usually mean action from the Wilfs. Like, think about the two times, like in 2020, they beat the Packers, they don't trade anybody. Same thing happened this year. And then in 2019, they lose to the Packers, and the Wilfs nearly traded Mike Zimmer to the Cowboys. And I still believe that was actually going to happen if the Vikings had lost against the New Orleans Saints. And they fired Brad Childress after losing to the after getting blown out at home by the Packers in 2010. Exactly. The Packers mean something very different to the Wilfs. And also yesterday, the uh, executives from the Packers, and I, I don't know that I've seen this happen. They sat close to me in the press box and celebrated like crazy with every big play, which usually you don't see that much in the press box. Maybe they're in a different place in the stadium or they kind of like keep it to themselves. Like Rick Spielman would sit behind me in Chicago and Quasi sits pretty close to me in Chicago too. You, you, you don't hear anything like they'll sometimes get up and pace, but usually like maybe some like, like if there's a bad play or something, but usually they kind of keep it. It had to burn them that those guys were like high-fiving after touchdowns and stuff. It it had they had to be very upset uh, <laughs> that that was happening. So anyway, can uh, can Michael Penix stay healthy in the NFL? I have no idea. Most quarterbacks seem to get hurt, but I'm just I'm just picking I'm picking the cannon. Give me the cannon. Let's see what we can do with it. So uh, anyway, well, this has been super fun, and uh, sorry, Manny, to keep you from the game even longer here. We gotta we gotta go watch some Michael Penix That's here because he is going absolutely off. So thank you everybody for watching. Huge crowd tonight. Appreciate all of you. Uh, make sure you subscribe to every single thing we do and buy my book. There you go. And we'll be back on Thursday night live, but the channel every night has episodes. So we'll have Jeremiah Searles tomorrow night. Look out for a, an episode with Brian Murphy. Lots of discussion about this very now fascinating off-season football team uh, as we go. So thanks, Manny, and thanks, everybody, for watching slash listening. We'll catch you next time. Go Balls!